Hello, everyone. So happy to be back to the um, Home Bible Study Podcast. And um, really pleased with the study so far and the things that I'm learning. Hope that you're learning as well. Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, learning adventure. So the last um, lesson that we did was Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. And um, those of you who have listened to that and uh, have joined us uh, in that study, you know that that was uh, chalked full of some very weighty and, you know, pretty wonderful truths. And so much so it took me a little time to digest uh, I had to digest all of that information, and I don't think I truly have to digest it at all, but certainly have enjoyed meditating on those things. So now we're going to move on in Hebrews chapter 8, starting with verse 6, and we'll go through verse 13. I'm going to go ahead and read that first, but before I do, I want to give it kind of a title. The title that I'm going to give it is All Things New. Because here we see uh, the writer talking about the new covenant. He's talking. To, he's comparing the old covenant to the new. And now, after all of the uh, verses, the chapters that precede this, now we get to the kind of crust of the matter, where he's established the historical significance. He's walked us through time. You might say through the eyes of a Hebrew, through the Hebrew culture. And now we're coming to um, the, the big, this is encouragement. This is to encourage you to continue in the faith. Um, and it's based on the fact that we're leaving the old things behind. Not that they didn't have value because they were very valuable, but because now we have better things. And a lot of people have entitled, made that to be the main title for the letter of Hebrews, Better Things. Well, yes, they're better. There was uh, earthly things before. The whole nation and the culture and the law was all based on earthly things. Not that that's bad, but it's just that now we have better. And I don't think we celebrate or embrace that fact like we should that we have better things because we've always those of us in the church age during these these last days we have only known better things so we're kind of like the entitled spoiled child who really doesn't know all of the things that have gone before to get us where we are now but that's why we have the letter of the hebrews we have the old testament um, and, and the Lord said that those things were written for our benefit because he knew that we would be in this time and that we would need that context and that point of reference of all that preceded where we are now. So here we are with heavenly promises and better things. So that's kind of what uh, a good summary of what Hebrews is about. So here in chapter 8, we're going to start seeing in verse 6 some of those better things and what that actually means. So, 
With that review aside, I'm going to read um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 through 13. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness, to their unrighteousness, excuse me, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And in that he saith anew, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So here we see the case being made for this new. Now the new here, you may see in your Bible, it says in parentheses, uh, it'll put in covenant because we know that's what he's speaking of. The covenant, the relationship, the promises. Um, there's the Old Testament, Old Covenant promises, New Testament, the New Covenant promises. So there's a contrast being made between the two. And here we see the writer giving us a little history lesson to say, this is not new information. This was foretold uh, in the Old Testament. And now we are living in an age where we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. Now that should make us excited because we're in that same age where we're seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy. We're living in a time of fulfilled prophecy. So that's pretty exciting to me. So that's uh, kind of what's being covered here. Now for us to really get a context and understanding of what's being said, I think we have to look in another place in scripture so that we can really understand what uh, the writer here is saying. And it's also good because I think you're going to see a congruency, an agreement of scripture, how that different men wrote at different times under in a different context, but all of it was unified in its message, in its truth, and in its application. Um, that's because it's the word of God and it's living. And I think we're going to see that pretty clearly here shortly. So to kind of send that point home, we're going to go over to Acts. And uh, Acts, we know, was written by um, Luke. Um uh, and he wrote it to um, to his friend, 
he was the one that went along with uh, Paul and the different ones during the time of the Acts, and he recorded their, you know, adventures or uh, ministries that they had during that time. So uh, Luke, certainly, I don't believe is the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, but uh, I do believe that you'll be able to see the how they are in agreement, particularly with this particular verse in Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 6. So to see that, we're going to go over and see what Peter said to another group of Hebrews. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Now, this is uh, the recording of the account of uh, the day of Pentecost when uh, they were uh, in, in Jerusalem. They were, it was 50 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, they were there. That's what Pentecost means. It means a 50th. So 50 days after they were celebrating uh, Pentecost and um, this happened, okay? The, the Holy Spirit uh, made a manifestation of himself, a visual manifestation. And these men uh, not only saw a visual manifestation of tongues, but also they started speaking in very known tongues, known languages, but in each uh, individual dialect, which was really what amazed the crowd. It's, it's, not, it's one thing to hear someone speak your language, but it's another thing to hear them have your accent, you know, because just like in, in America, you know, we all speak English uh, as the standard language, but everyone has a different uh, accent. You know, I have a Southern accent, not that I can hear it, but other people have told me that. And I hear other people from the North or, you know, uh, near Canada and they'll have, they'll say the same words I say, but with an accent. So that's what was being heard. And so to, to some people, those, they would sound like they were just babbling and, and to other people, they're like, Hey, no, he's speaking my language and in my dialect. So it was pretty amazing. So Paul had to address this miracle, give it context and help them understand exactly what was happening. And as I read this, notice the similarities to what uh, Peter, did I say Paul? Peter had to address um, these men. Notice the similarities between what Peter is saying and what the writer to the letter of the Hebrews is saying. Okay, with, with that said, I'm going to read uh, verse 14, Acts chapter 2, King James Version. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunk, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come a pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, 
and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on, my, call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, notice that Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand uh, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in, my flesh shall, shall rest in hope because thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy without countenance. Uh, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the partridge David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, uh, he would raise up. Christ or Messiah to sit on his throne. He being David, seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So this is uh, David prophesying about the resurrection. And Peter's pointing this out. And he's saying, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. So everyone saw the, all of them. He said, we of all, all of us saw this resurrection. That's what Peter is saying. Okay. So he said, wherefore we all are witnesses. He's saying God raised him up and we are here to testify as witnesses that that occurred. Uh, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted uh, and having received of the father, the promise of the Holy ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. So they had a visible and an audible testimony of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, for what you see and also you hear. For David, verse 34, for David is not ascended into heavens, but he hath himself, the Lord said uh, unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. He says, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself. So he's testifying on behalf of the Lord. He's prophesying. The Lord saith unto my Lord. Okay. So that's the father unto the son. Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus Okay, 
whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So here we see Peter in, on the day of Pentecost ministering to all of these Jewish men that came from all over the world for the feast. Um, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit manifests a testimony, a visible and audible testimony, and uh, Peter gave context to that testimony. So um, there's a lot of things that Peter said in Acts that will correlate or um, line up with what's being said here in Hebrews chapter 8. And I'll, I'll try to point that out as we go through the study. But I feel like it's important to know that that was the beginning of the church. That was the beginning of the church age in which we are now living. So we're living in that fulfilled prophecy that goes back as far as Joel. And he's not saying that the completed prophecy of Joel is fulfilled, but that which has to come first has occurred. And what we didn't know then, what was a mystery then that we do know now, is that the church is a part of that prophecy. That it would begin with all Jews, the church began with all Jews, and then go on to the Gentiles. And that's why those of us who are not Jews, who are saved, can enter into this uh, blessed hope and his family. So let's see what um, in Hebrews, let's get back to Hebrews chapter eight and let's see what it is that the writer has to say about this new covenant that we're in, the new covenant that began at Pentecost and now uh, we currently are living in, in these last days. Starting with verse six, but now, and that's the, that's the big transition, you know, He's saying, but now something has happened. Something has happened different from what we had in the past. Now we have the Lord Jesus ministering as a high priest. And he's ministering under new terms of engagement. Our relationship with him no longer rests upon um, the ritual, the process and procedure of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant relationship. And that's why he says, but now. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. So the ministry of the Lord Jesus as manifest to the church is a more excellent ministry. Well, what makes it more excellent? Okay, so... The fact is, it's more excellent. It's better. But now let's see what makes it better. That's something we, a question I think we need to answer. He says, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promise, promises. So the reason that it's a more excellent ministry is because no longer do we go to men for uh, representation. 
No longer do we go to the Levitical priesthood. No longer do we go to a tabernacle made by hands, made from trees and the different things of the earth. Now we go to a tabernacle that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not only the mediator of this relationship, this ministry, this more excellent ministry, right? He's not only the one that mediates on behalf, he is our connection to the Father. So no longer are we connected from earth to heaven, but now we have our citizenship in the heavenlies. Um, I would say that's more excellent. No longer do we have to go to a temple or a tabernacle with a sacrifice constantly, but we have one who has made a once for all sacrifice on our behalf. And he is now mediating on our behalf. So that's what makes this a better covenant than the old. And it's established on promises that are better. Now, does that mean that the promises of the Old Testament that were given to the nation Israel are void? No, they are not. God will fulfill every promise that he's made to the nation Israel. Um, and that is seen as we go along. I'm going to point that out where you can see that the writer knew this. And the writer points out that, yes, we do have better promises, but it does not negate the timetable of uh, God in manifesting his grace and, and faithfulness to the nation Israel. So verse seven, for if that first, and we're going to use the italicized word covenant because they're speaking of, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So here he's pointing out the fact that the fact that the first covenant had its weaknesses, it had its barriers, right? And we talked about the last lesson, how that um, the whole story of God interacting with man is a love story. And so in that context, we could only manifest or experience so much of the love of God through the old covenant, right? There was there was an opportunity to experience the love of God, but it was not complete. It was a partial because of the issue of sin. That, that That's what uh, predicated the need of a sacrifice. And there was that constant death, that constant shedding of blood just to get um, closer to God because he's holy and righteous and we're not. And sin was always a hindrance, all right? Always a, a barrier to us being, a, those of us who are saved, being able to fully experience the love of God. But now we have better promises, right? But that does not negate the promises of the uh, first covenant. But the first covenant had issues. That's what verse seven is saying. It wasn't perfect. It didn't allow us the access to uh, the Godhead that that the new covenant does. So that's that's why there's a need for another one, for something better. And the Lord Jesus 
has progressively uh, revealed himself in the Father and progressively allowed us to get closer and closer and closer throughout every age. And every time we make a step or a move closer to him, we learn more of him and of his grace and love. And I believe personally that it has to be that way because God is so overwhelming, so majestic, so beyond our comprehension that we need a gradual progression into his presence so that we can be able to fully enjoy and appreciate all the perfections of his love. And it's the same way in our lives, you know, as we live our lives and we go about, we grow in grace. And what is growing in grace? That's growing in Christ. What is growing in Christ? That's understanding and knowing him. What does it mean to know Christ? It's to love him, right? And the picture has been made of a man and a woman, right? And it says that Adam knew Eve, right? That word for know is an intimate knowledge. The way a man and a woman who are married, that's the only way that you can know one another on that level, right? So we too with God are knowing him, right? And he is knowing us and we're, we're growing in that grace and that knowledge. And that's, that should encourage us to want to grow. I mean, the more you grow, the more you learn, the closer you get to him, the better you experience the majesty, the love, the comfort, the strength, you know, of the Lord Jesus. It, it's something that's there for us. We have that. We have God, the Holy Spirit as that, that vital link to the Godhead. And that's why earlier on in this letter, the writer says, don't quench the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, because you're hurting yourselves. God's love is complete and perfect for us. We are the ones that are moving towards him and in him. So don't deny yourself that, okay? And that's what this letter is encouraging us to do. This letter is saying, move on to full maturation. God has taken hold of you for a purpose. Identify that purpose, walk in that purpose, embrace it, and then run in that purpose Right. And when you find obstacles to you moving in that purpose, you stand in that purpose. OK, sometimes obstacles are going to come into your life that are going to be so big that they're going to hinder you from moving forward. You're not going to be able to run, but you can always put on the whole armor of God and you can stand. And the Lord Jesus will minister to you in that position. He's able to make us to grow as we run this race and as we stand, we make a stand uh, in the truth for his word. All right. So we have a, a, a second, uh, a need of a better covenant. That's what he's saying here. And in verse eight, for finding fault with them. Now he's talking about 
the the Jews, the Hebrews of the Old Testament, he says, behold, because he knew, the Lord knew, hey, the weakness of the Old Covenant is not because God is weak. It's because the weakness of the flesh and the sin that hindered them from being able to enter fully into the love of God and to be able to enjoy him completely. So he find, he saw this fault with them. He knew that this sin was in the way. And he says, finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So these are words of encouragement, not indictment. See, God is not indicting them and saying, well, you know, I found fault in you, so I got to start over. No, he's acknowledging the fact their weakness, because it's, you know, it's all of this is based in the flesh. All of the the Old Testament, the law, it's all fleshly. And it's set up to reveal the weakness of the flesh. And he's saying, I've already dealt with that. I already have a plan for that. First, I want you to see your weakness. But next, I'm going to show you something better something different. And he said, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So we live in those days now, right? The church is the beginning of those days. This is not the fulfillment, but the beginning, just like he said uh, in Joel, this is the beginning of that fulfillment. And there is an economy of revelation that we're in. If you understand the dispensational um, approach to scripture, you realize that we're in the church age. This is the age of the church. Immediately after the church age, the end of the church age is going to be the rapture. When the rapture occurs, then immediately we go into the great tribulation. And after the great tribulation, the uh, seven years of tribulation, the Lord Jesus will return to this earth and he will establish in a kingdom that he will rule over for a thousand years. And in that time, between the um, tribulation period's fulfillment and entering into that thousand year reign, well, that's when you're going to see the fulfillment of what he's saying here next. It says, not according to, in verse nine, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. That is the testimony of the nation Israel. They continued not in my covenant. The Lord God, Jesus, um, the father, the Godhead was faithful to them. They were not faithful to him. They continued not in my covenant because of the weakness of the flesh. And it says, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord, right? Because he's holy and righteous and he cannot just wink at sin and go, oh, well, you know, like a, a child that's being naughty. Well, you know, that's just how children are. No, he's a holy, he's a righteous God and he will operate in holiness and righteousness. And he says, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. In verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So nowhere is there mentioned the church here, but we know now 
that when the day of Pentecost happened, it was all Jews. So this is what he did with the house of Israel. And the mystery, as Paul reveals it, is that, hey, Gentiles are going to be joined into this as well. That was unknown. That was the the, the church, uh, as we know it today, was a mystery. And so it began with Jews on the day of Pentecost. And then uh, Paul and others went out and spread the gospel even unto the Gentiles. But here we, he's in verse 10, he's saying, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So what does that mean? What days? We don't know what days. It could be a thousand years. It could be 2,000, 3,000, a million. I don't know. But from God's perspective, he says, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. When the dwelling of God, the Holy Spirit came, no longer did you have to know the law of God through study, through having it on your forehead. They used to wear a little thing with the law on their forehead uh, because of the law said uh, to always have it before you. And they took that very literally. So, and they had to be taught and they were rigorously taught the, the law and the scriptures and, you know, the Old Testament, they were taught this. But here we see a time is coming when no one's going to have to teach them. Because it says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. So clearly this is not the heart that they were born with because God said that heart is desperately wicked and who, sh who, who can know it. This is a new heart that's going to be given to them. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So this is God, the Holy Spirit's indwelling ministry revealing the truths of uh, scripture of uh, that's why we don't need anybody to teach us the Bible. Like I'm teaching the Bible. I offer there's value in that gift, but anyone who is saved has got the Holy spirit within them. They can study the Bible and learn everything that I'm teaching um, on their own. Me teaching it is just a help to build up the church so that we can run, so we can stand against uh, the, the wiles of the evil one. And we can have a stronger testimony and be empowered in this life to radiate the spirit of God uh, from us around us. So that's the ministry of a teacher. But the power of God is in God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us. And he gives us a new heart. Right. A heart that beats for the Lord Jesus. And we are the fulfillment of this scripture. And he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now, in the beginning, it was all Jews in the church. Now we know we have Gentiles that have come in. But after the rapture, right, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish men who are virgins that are going to be indwelled with God, the Holy Spirit, saved, and they will start proclaiming the gospel. 
The same gospel that we preach now, the gospel that is foreign to Israel and Jews, they think it's just ridiculous, um, but this gospel will be preached to them. And in the context of the time that they're living during the Great Tribulation, it's not going to be ridiculous anymore. It's going to be life-changing. It's going to reveal to them that Jesus, the same Jesus that was crucified, the one that Peter uh, presented to those Jews on the day of Pentecost, and over you know 3,000 were saved, that same Jesus will be presented again to the Jews with that same power, that same authority, and it will have that effect times a thousand. So many, many people during this great tribulation, many Jews are going to be saved and from the ministry of this these 144,000 Jewish men. And they will then fulfill this scripture completely, you know, with the church and with them, you'll see they will then have God, the Holy Spirit indwell in them. And they too will be like, have what we have right now as a nation, they will em embrace and fully know the Lord Jesus as their savior, as the Messiah. Wonderful thoughts, wonderful things. And at that time, he will be their God and they shall be to him a people. And we should rejoice in that. We should be praying for the nation Israel because the fulfillment of this for them means that we are in heaven already. We've been raptured. We're in heaven. We're enjoying all the heavenly blessings that have been promised to us. And we are just beyond uh, thrilled, filled with love, no longer dealing with sin and the, how it separates us from the one whom we love so much. We are, we are, you might say, fully embracing the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that? To be able to embrace him and for him to embrace us. Imagine what that must be like. That's where we will be. So um, in verse 11, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. So now we're moving into uh, uh, deeper into that uh, time traveling that we're doing beyond the church age, in, beyond the, um, the time of the great tribulation. And now we're in the thousand year reign because during that time, we know that the entire earth will know him. Everyone on earth will know the Lord Jesus and nobody's going to have to, you know, teach his neighbor. Well, you, do you know the Lord Jesus or his brother saying you need to know the Lord? Well, because everybody's going to know him. He's going to be here and he's going to be manifest to the entire world from the least to the greatest. That means from the very smallest child to the oldest. That means from the uh, most humble of positions uh, that you can think of, who has the most humble job that you can think of, to you know a leader over nations, they're all going to know the Lord. That speaks of that time, that one thousand year reign, 
when he will uh, be here on earth and fulfill that promise to the nation Israel of the land, the seed, and the blessing. And they will enter into that time where they will be on the land, they will occupy, occupy it completely, and they will reap the full blessing and benefit of being a descendant of Abraham. Okay, so that's what verse 11 is saying. So you see this writer, he understood all of that. He understood the dispensations. He understood the timeline because Daniel lays this out very clearly. So um, verse 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Think about that. We walk in that condition now. We live in that position now. Think about what that will mean for the nation Israel. Think back to when you were first saved. For those of you who have been saved for a while, um, or those of you who have been saved shortly, think about what that feels like when you realize that the Lord has been merciful to your unrighteousness and that your sins and your iniquities he's cast away forever. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. It was mind blowing for me to think that he had done that for me. And I've spent, you know, several decades learning to appreciate what that means. And I still cannot fully appreciate it. I receive it. I believe it. I know it's true and it, I rejoice in it because I know that I'm going to enjoy all the blessings of being in his presence. Um, I enjoy the blessings of his ministry and God, Holy Spirit now. But it's not something that you can really appreciate all at once because as you grow, you understand the breadth and the depth and the width and the height of it. It continues to grow as you do. And it's pretty awesome. And that's what's going to happen for these uh, elect Jewish people who will receive the full promise, the fulfillment of, of those promises in that time. In verse 13, in that he saith a new covenant, he, he made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So here the writer is making an argument to say, look, it's time that you Hebrew believers put the old things away. They're old things. They're in the past. The temple, the sacrifices, uh, your connection to the traditions and those things that were only a type or a picture of the good things to come. He's saying, we in a, we're in a new age now. Those things are, those things have passed. You know, they're decaying and they wax old. I think here he's making a subtle reference to Moses. Moses, if you can remember, went to uh, get the first, uh, the Ten Commandments, which was the first part of the law from 
the Lord on Mount Sinai. And he couldn't see God because God said, if you look upon me, you'll die. You can't, you know, in the way that you, in your present condition, you try to look at me, you die, you know. But I'm going to walk by and you'll be able to see just the train of my garment, right? And he spoke from the burning bush and he, it didn't, uh, wasn't consumed and a lot of miraculous things. Well, when Moses got back to the people, his, from seeing the glory of God, his face shone with glory. It was lit up. And the people couldn't take it. They're like, I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, I understand that. If a friend of mine was to show up to work tomorrow and his face was shining like that, that would be unsettling for me, you know? So these people found it to be unsettling. So uh, I believe that's why Moses wore a veil over his face. Some people say it was for other reasons, but I think that's why. And each day that glory would dissipate to where he would get closer and closer to a normal look without the glory around him. So it was fading. And I think that's what the writer is alluding to. And he says, now that which decayeth and wax old is ready to vanish away. So just like that glory was fading, the old Testament, all the things associated with that old covenant, you know, it wasn't complete. It didn't solve the problem. There was a, um, a need for something more excellent. And now that old is vanishing away. It's ready to go away. Now we have the new. And it's time, Hebrew people, that you embrace this new. And that's what he's telling them. It's the same thing that Peter was saying in his ministry. He was like, look, this is what was prophesied. This is that new thing that we were promised. And now we're that much closer to the fulfillment of all the promises made to Abraham. The land, the seed, and the blessing. And the timeline goes like this. The church age begins, that dispensation begins, and the relationship to God has changed. Now they no longer have to go to a tabernacle or a temple. They no longer go to men uh, that uh, intercede or mediate on their behalf. They no longer have to bring a sacrifice. They no longer have to have a high priest that's chosen once a year and have him go in and hope that he comes out alive. All of that is passed away. They no longer have blessings that are only associated with the land and the earth. As wonderful as the thousand year reign is going to be, it's still earth. We'll be in heaven. And so those promises were made to the nation Israel. So every person that was uh, under that old covenant, they're going to be on this earth. So what does that mean? That means that the Jewish people that survived the um, the Great Tribulation, you know, they're going to go into the uh, thousand year kingdom. It says, you know, one will be taken and one will be left. So uh, they're going to go in. 
those saints that have uh, gone before, like, you know, uh, Moses and all of those that are now in heaven, they have resurrected bodies in heaven. So they're going to be here on earth as well because the promise was made to them to have that. And they will live on earth along with these just regular people that made it through the um, tribulation period. And they're going to all kind of coexist, right? And it says that the whole earth is going to be changed. And uh, a man who was 100 years old is going to be considered a youth. So they're going to go back to living you know, like Methuselah, a thousand years or the people during that time, because sin is going to be removed. That equation is going to be taken out. So the curse over the earth is gone. So now lions and lambs, they sit down and eat together because there's no sin. There's no uh, conflict there and the war of the nature. So uh, now we live in a totally different uh, world. And that's that, um, that 1,000 year reign and Jesus will reign over the entire earth. And it said that people will seek out Jews to take them up to Jerusalem to worship because Jesus will be there and the world is going to know him and they're going to know that the Jews are his people. So all of that is coming and it has to happen. But the church, those of us who have been saved after the day of Pentecost forward, well, we have heavenly blessings. We're going to be in heaven. And that's what uh, the writer is telling them. Like, look, we have heavenly blessings. It's time to move away from the old and unto the new. And that same thing can be said to us today in our everyday lives. How many old things are you allowing to keep you from the new? How many old things are being a hindrance to you enjoying fully the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, enjoying fully that love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And are those old things worth it? I am confident to say that I believe you and I would agree that they are not because nothing could be better than the embrace of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. Think about the fact that those old things, no matter how much pleasure that you may think is associated with it, those things, I promise you, are earthly. And they're passing away. Right? They're waxing old and ready to go away forever. Why allow those things to keep you from what is yours? What's better? The love of Christ and that fellowship, that intimacy that we can enjoy with him. So that's the exhortation to these people during this time. And it's the same exhortation that we have. And I have to exhort myself. I have to ask myself that same question. And it's time. If you were wondering when the message was going to come, this is the message. It's time to put away those old things. And let's together move forward in Christ and enjoy the full blessings of what he has to offer. And what is that? That's his embrace. That's that intimate fellowship that we can have with him and through him with one another. So 
Um, I pray that this um, study will encourage you to do, set, do that, to move on, that to embrace the blessings of the new covenant and, and uh, this new life we have in the Lord Jesus. And I pray it would do the same for me. Let's close. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how that you have gone to such great lengths to write this beautiful poem that is the word of God, that is the church, and how that you speak to us in so many ways through your spirit. And thank you so much for God, the Holy Spirit's ministry to us, in us, and through us. And we pray, Father, that all of this would glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.